Uh, a couple things uh, before we get going here. Um, first, uh, I got a note from Rebecca saying thank you for uh, showing your lovely faces. Those who were here last week, we, uh, if you know, Rebecca doesn't isn't able to usually join us on Sunday mornings, so we uh, we said had hi to her on uh, video. So it was good to do that. So she appreciated that and uh, and uh, laughed, and she she said she laughed and she cried at the same time. So it was good. Uh, also, uh, Jessica, Priya, hi, welcome back. So good to have you back. Looking forward to uh, hearing, uh, yeah, how the Lord has moved. I heard a little bit, but uh, I know there's so much more. So I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, also, uh, by way of introduction as well, uh, I, uh, I always hesitate a little bit doing this, but uh, the Lord on occasion leads me to, to write in manuscript my sermon completely. And then he asked me to read it instead of, you know, doing my typical kind of uh, off the cuff and uh, what stuff, what not. So uh, I, I, uh, I, I'm not going to apologize because this is God's will. So I do what he tells me to do. Um, <laughs> but I, I do just want to just give you a heads up. So it might be feel a little bit different uh, as it comes out uh, this morning, but uh, I am uh, filled with excitement and anticipation of what the Lord has for us this morning, uh, this week, um, was especially sweet as I uh, spent time with him over this message. We've come to the third week of our 40 days of prayer in, and in our examination of this sample prayer that Jesus gave to help us connect with God. In the first two weeks, we were reminded that even though our prayer is to a holy and awesome God who has the power to smite us with a simple snap of his fingers, he invites us to approach him as our heavenly father. He wants us to come to him and he, he wants us to enjoy an intimate relationship with him. As a result, we can, we can come to him without fear and with boldness and confidence that he loves us, will accept us, and will hear our prayers. In addition, last week, Xavier did a wonderful job emphasizing that our prayers must first and foremost be centered on God's will. He is a good father, and he wants us to come to him, but we must come in surrender to his will and with a desire for his will to be done, first in our heart, hearts and then in the world around us. In essence, the first couple of lines of the Lord's Prayer is about getting our minds and perspectives right. We come to our loving Father, knowing that he accepts us and wants us and wants to bless us. But we come with humility, recognizing he is holy and powerful, and that we come seeking to align our prayers and our lives with him. We come to him not in hopes of changing him, but in desperate need of him to change us, to change our lives to change our circumstances for his glory. Having the appropriate posture before God is essential to being drawn into greater understanding of who God is and a deeper intimacy with him. And it is out of this understanding and intimacy that we know what to pray. 
This morning, now that we have our prayer posture solidified, we bring our petitions to him. Give us this day our daily bread. Represents both our personal needs and concerns, as well as the, uh, our intercessions for those we know. It is not give me my daily bread, it is give us. There is a corporate nature of our supplications to God. We seek his action in our own lives and the lives of those around us. This part of the prayer is perhaps the most beautiful of all. It shows that God doesn't just want us to come and, 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 have our, and bow our will to him. He wants to assist us in our lives. This part of the prayer is not just an admission that we need him. It reveals his desire to bless us and to take care of us. It demonstrates that he cares about us and what we are going through and is a willing and active partner in our life. He doesn't want just worship. He wants companionship. He doesn't want surrender alone. He wants trust. He doesn't want slavery. He wants sons and daughters. And so he invites us to come and worship and to come and to share our struggles and needs with him. One of the most amazing things about prayer is how much scripture encourages us to do it. <laughs> but more than that, it instructs us to come with expectation that our prayers will be heard and answered. Over and over again, we are told that those who ask will receive. Jesus in Matthew 7, 7 to 11, as we read earlier, instructs his disciples with this shocking statement, ask and it will be done, given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. And then he goes on, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This statement by Jesus is clear. There's no Greek nuances that we need to dig into to understand more fully. There's no caveats listed here. There's no mysterious cultural dynamics that cloud its truth. Jesus here and multiple other places says unequivocally, ask and you will receive. Furthermore, James in his fourth chapter, verse 2, and reprimanding believers for their quarreling and fights says, you do not have the things that you desire because you do not ask. Boy. Isn't that the truth? How many times have we just not asked? Some of the struggles in life that we continue to endure are still causing tension simply because we have not taken them to the Lord. 
The truth of Matthew 7 and James 4 is simply this. Take your concerns to the Lord because he cares for you and you will then receive what you've asked for. To make this point even stronger, look at what Jesus says in Mark 11, 23 and 24. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Did you catch that? Whatever you ask for in prayer, you will receive. When was the last time you prayed for something? When was the last time you expected God would give you what you asked for? The amazing truth of Scripture calls us to beseech the Lord with boldness and with expectation. He wants us to come. He wants us to tell him what we need. And he wants to give us what we ask for. Now, there are certainly some of us who just have not come to a point in their life where they see God as a partner. We, we just don't think to take our needs to Jesus. You know, we rely on our own, our own wealth, our own strength, and our own wisdom to be able to handle, you know, the world's problems. Others of us feel we are unworthy to take our request to God. We think either we are too sinful for him to listen, or we feel like we have already received enough from him, and therefore to ask for more just would be not right. Still others think God's help is limited so we only bring the big things to him. You know, I mean, we, got, I mean, we don't want to bother him with the smallest things, right? I mean, he is a busy God. Let me say this clearly for all to hear. If you find yourself believing any of these views, you have been deceived by Satan. God's power is unlimited, and he cares about every little thing in your life. He's counted the hair on your head. For some of us, that's easier than others. He is the sustainer of your life, whether you give him credit for it or not. And no matter how sinful you, you are, have been or still are, hear this. You are fully adopted as a member and a joint heir with Jesus in the family of God. He is deeply saddened by our choice to not include him in our everyday life. Consider if you as a parent care about the little things in your kids' life, don't you think God is a better parent than you? If you would give anything to continue to be involved in your teenager's or your adult child's life, don't you think our Heavenly Father would give even more? One of the great tragedies in the family of God is the number of children who refuse for one reason or another to exclude the father in their life. Church, I want to be sensitive here because I know for some of you this may be an emotional issue. It may include shame and frustration and even disappointment. But as your pastor, I must call you 
back to your good and loving father. He is not an earthly father. He's a heavenly and a perfect father. He will not fail you. He may allow hurt to happen, but he will never hurt you. And the hurt that does come, (laughs) he promises to redeem. He's the great redeemer, and he will take all the pain that you experience and turn it into joy. He will never reject you. He is longing for you to come to him, to share your pain with him so he can help. He is waiting for you to invite him to walk alongside you and to bless you, to know him, to trust him, to join him, to ask him. Satan has separated you from intimacy with God for too long. He's kept you from enjoying the fruit and the power of your father. You have missed out on his blessing, his goodness, and his miracles for long enough. It is time for you to choose to reject the lies of the evil one and run back into the wonderful and loving arms of your heavenly father. Church, those of us who are choosing to not ask God for help are missing out on the great blessing provision and intimacy of our father let go of your self-reliance and self-pity and with expectation take your cares to the lord today now there's another reality in prayer that must be addressed as a matter of fact there are likely some of you who in your mind were pushing back on this previous point It might be because your own theological perspective refuses to view God as a genie in the bottle who exists to fulfill your every wish. Despite the clarity of Jesus' statement in Matthew 7, you'd say, in actuality, it's not that simple. We don't just ask and he automatically delivers. Others might be critical of the previous perspective because you've personally found it not to be true. You have asked, and God has not delivered. He has disappointed you by not bringing blessing, not relieving the tension, not helping you in your time of need. Perhaps in a time of great pain, you desperately cried out to God, and he didn't show up. Or maybe a close friend or family member died. Or the prodigal never returned. Or the abuse just continued. Amen. I think the answer to both of these challenges, to the ask and receive perspective in prayer, is found in James 4.3. It reads, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. James's response to the theological challenge that God is not a genie is a resounding, of course he's not. As Xavier considered last week, prayer is about coming to God and seeking his will to be done, not ours. Prayer is about him changing us and our passions to match his 
Our human perspective is so limited that we can praise the Lord that he doesn't answer us based on our own will. Imagine the chaos if every prayer we prayed was answered in the affirmative. Every football team would win the Super Bowl. (laughs) Go Hawks. Or maybe just uh, one, the one that had the most prayer, right? They would stop having to sell lottery tickets because there'd be thousands of winning tickets. Every sickness would be instantly healed and we all would make just a little bit more money, have a little bigger house and a little nicer car. The consequence of all this would not be a better world, but a much worse one. The all-wise God of the universe knew the best creation to make in order to bring about the best possible results, and that is exactly what he created and what we're living in. But just because God is not a genie and will not answer every prayer in the affirmative doesn't mean that we don't go to him. To deny the vast number of verses that tell us to ask and expect is not the answer. The sad thing is, those who decry the ask and receive perspective on theological grounds typically end up not asking at all. Their prayers are weak and ineffective because they have no faith that God will answer any of their prayers, even the ones that are asked with right motives. Too often, their theological, uh, their theological caution results in a lack of faith and a limited prayer life, not a better one. While it is right to caution people away from a genie perspective of God, it must be accompanied with a caution against a weak perspective of God, one which doesn't expect God can or will do anything for us one which leads us to a deistic view of God. Now, on the other hand, the response to those who have been disappointed by God's lack of response to their prayers, this is a bit more nuanced. To bash them over the head with James 4.3 could cause even more damage and drive them further away from God and his truth. However, James 4.3 does have truth for them that they must understand and embrace. And if they do, they will be greatly encouraged and their prayer life will be restored. As already mentioned, prayer is about God's will being done, not ours. Therefore, we come to God with all of our needs, seeking for him to fix things, to change things, to bless things, to move things for his glory not ours. Essential to our prayers of petition is a trust in the character and the nature of God. Our prayer life actually says a lot about who we understand God to be. Some, as stated above, see God as a genie who must grant our wishes. Others believe he is a fire escape or a last resort. When things really get bad, then we call on the Lord. Others see God as a mathematical equation. If we say the right words in the right order and with the right amount of passion, we will get the desired results. However, most Bible-believing Christians, I think, 
understand who God really is. Our Father, who deeply loves us and is always working for our good and whose perspective and will are perfect. If you have a false view of God, short, you need to crack open your Bible and seek to know who God really is. But for those who have a right understanding, when God doesn't respond the way we desire, we must cling to who we know him to be. Another of the great tragedies in the church are Christians whose faith in God is damaged or even destroyed by unanswered prayer. When God doesn't answer our desperate prayers, Satan sneaks in and whispers in our ears, see, he doesn't love you. When he doesn't relieve the pain, our enemy says, God doesn't care. When evil people perpetrate horrible deeds against us, the father of lies declares, God cannot protect you. But of course, none of that is true. The word James offers to those who have been disappointed by God's silence in times of trial is to trust God's character. The only prayer that is offered with right motives is the one prayed in accordance with the character of God and a commitment to his will being done. God is love, and he is always with us in every joy and trial of life, and he is always working on our behalf to bring about good and redeem the bad. He does not need to be convinced, persuaded, or begged in order to get him to do good things for us. He cannot be manipulated, bribed, or bullied into doing what we want. Moreover, his response to our prayers are always in accordance with his will, and his will is always the best thing for us. Even the evil things done to us cannot disrupt God's good plans for us, unless, of course, we allow them to destroy our trust in God. So what do we do when our ask doesn't result in the answer we'd hoped for. We remember the character of God. Trust in his love and goodness. And look for what we have received. If we ask him to stop the pain, but it doesn't stop, we look for his strength to endure it. Amen. If we ask for reconciliation, but it doesn't come, we look for his encouragement. If we ask for life, but death comes instead, we look for his tears as he mourns with us. If we ask for the abuse to end, but it continues, we look for his presence and comforting arms in the midst of the pain. A prayer offered with right motives is one that honestly asks for what we feel we need and accepts what our, our good father gives. Why do we accept what he gives, even if it's not what we've asked for? Because what we want most is for our all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving creator to do his good and perfect will in our life. 
Okay, now that we've addressed a couple challenging aspects of prayer, there's still one more we must consider. <laughs> there's a actually disturbing truth that is clearly communicated in Scripture that is usually ignored by the evangelicals and abused by the charismatics. What is that truth? I think it's expressed fairly well in Matthew 13, 58. Jesus is in his homeland trying to bless and care for and do miracles, and this happens. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Or stated maybe in the positive is Mark 10, 52, when Jesus says to him, Go your way, for your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. If you don't see it already, the disturbing truth is that faith has an impact on the work and the healing of God in our life. Being of the evangelical persuasion, I have spent most of my life either ignoring these passages or trying to reinterpret them or at best in quiet wonder of what they really mean. But part of my hesitation to embrace this truth comes from the abuse I've witnessed from my fellow charismatic Christians. Too many times have I sought to encourage the believer who was told they didn't receive because their faith was too weak. However, the challenge for evangelicals is accepting that God's work in our lives is impacted by our faith. The problem lies how much our faith plays a role. For the charismatic, it tends to be everything. But for the evangelical, we tend to lean towards not at all. Philippians 1, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It seems to me this passage is instructive for the problem before us. In essence, our faith and God's will are both important to igniting the work in his work in our life. It is God's will along with our faith in him that open up the power of God. Our loving father does not force his will on us. He allows us to choose how much of him we want in our life. Now, don't misunderstand. There are uh, all kinds of blessings that we receive from God without asking. Matthew 5, 45, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. But it seems clear that a lack of faith can hinder the blessings we receive from God. So, what level of faith do we need to receive all God has for us? It seems to me it is not necessarily about a level of faith, but just simply having faith. Jesus was not able to do miracles in his hometown because they didn't have faith in him. The reason the blind man is healed is because he has faith that Jesus can heal him. His faith is shown by the act that he, if you read before in that story, he cries out to Jesus over and over again. And when he's finally given the opportunity, he asks Jesus for healing. 
We too show we have faith every time we bow in prayer and ask God to intercede in our life. The faith we need is the same kind of faith we need for salvation. It's the kind of faith that, faith that admits we can't and believes and trusts that Jesus can. It seems to me where some of our charismatic brothers and sisters have gotten this wrong is that they think the results are guaranteed. In other words, they think God's will is for everyone to get all of God's blessing the minute we ask for it. So any prayer unanswered is the result of a lack of faith. And if we want to get his blessing, we must somehow strengthen or deepen our faith. While I don't have time to thoroughly refute this belief, I will quote two passages which highlight the truth that contradicts this perspective, that God grants all blessings to us in the moment we ask. First, Romans 5, 3 to 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given it to us. 1 Peter 3, 17 to 18 is a powerful rebuke. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body and made alive in the Spirit. It seems clear from these passages and many more that there are times when the full blessings of eternity will not be fully realized this side of heaven. Even consider death itself, which we all will endure. God's will is that none of us should perish. But that does not mean physically, it means spiritually. It is appointed for all men to die once and then face judgment. The truth is, God will sometimes, God's will sometimes includes suffering, struggle, trials, and pain. Not that he causes these, but that he allows them and uses them in order to bring glory to his name and actually even bless us. So where does this all leave us? It seems to me we are standing on solid biblical ground when we accept that healing and the work of God is activated in our life when our faith is matched with God's will. Faith can indeed be a hindrance to receive some of God's blessing. For instance, those of us who choose to not ask the Lord to step in, whether it is because of a prideful independence or a pitiful sense of unworthiness, should not expect that God is going to act. Our lack of faith in him is keeping him at arm's length and preventing him from getting involved. He will not force his will on those who don't want it. It is these who James says you do not have because you do not ask. But this also speaks to those who do not receive the miracle they are asking for. Your lack of faith is impacting the blessing from the Lord. Because when you do not receive what you ask for exactly as you ask for it, you falsely think God is not working. Your lack of faith in his ability to sustain you in the midst of trial conflict and pain is preventing you from receiving his powerful blessings. 
Your demand that he bow to your will is not faith. It is arrogance and self-worship. It is this understanding of prayer and the impact of faith on God's actions that leads us actually to fall on our knees before our Father. It inspires us to bring our great concerns as well as our trivial ones. We have a heavenly Father who deeply loves us and desires to walk with us in all of life. He has good plans for us and plans to bless us beyond what we can imagine. Plans that he longs for us to enjoy, but he is waiting for us to come, to ask, and to agree with him. Church, as we enter this new year, filled with anticipation of what God is going to do in and through us, we need to spend time in prayer. As I've mentioned several times now, not in this message, but in previous uh, Sundays, I sense we are about to reap a harvest of lost souls. And with that harvest, there will be an outpouring of the Spirit. Jesus is building anticipation in me that we will enjoy manifestations of his spirit that will ignite our faith and empower us to greater effectiveness in evangelism. Not for our glory, but for his. But church, we need to give up doing things on our own and thinking that somehow we can do it without him. That if we just put in a little more effort, we'll be successful. No, we need to admit our desperate need of a Savior and of our Father and our need for Him to show up and act. We need to cry out in Jesus' name, asking Him to pour out His Spirit, to respond to our prayers, and to give us what we need. Those of us wallowing in the miry pit of unworthiness must escape our self-pity and reach out to our Father who loves us and can use us. Throughout history, he has used the humble and the lowly through which to do his greatest works. Reject the lie that he is unable to use you and cry out to Jesus. Put your trust in his worthiness and boldly ask him to empower you for his glory. Those stuck in a theological quagmire choosing to have God, a God who totally, you, who you totally understand and control, repent of your arrogance and open your eyes to the God who with a mere word spoke creation into existence. God's will will certainly be done, but a loving father never forces his children to receive his gifts. Don't be afraid to not understand how it works. Just give yourself over to faith and faith in God, faith in our heavenly father, and ask for the unbelievable. Amen. Those struggling with disappointment of prayers seemingly unanswered, you too need to let go of your pride and accept what you know to be true of the character of God. He is good and has the power to redeem your pain. 
He can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Trust that he has answered and look for his presence with you in ways you truly need. Worship team, why don't you come up? So I give a final call in essence this morning. Church, will you pray with me? No, really, will you pray prayers you've never prayed before? Will you pray prayers filled with faith in the powerful goodness of our loving Father? As we respond to the convictions of the Spirit in singing here in a moment, will you come up and pray? Or maybe you just need to turn to your spouse or your close friend and start praying bold, faith-filled friends to, prayers together. Or maybe you do need to come forward to have our prayer team pray for and with you. Maybe you are desperate for healing and need to let our team pray a prayer of healing over you. Maybe you are struggling with anxiety that is debilitating. Maybe you've got broken relationships. Maybe you've just lost your job and don't know what to do next. Maybe you are overcome by shame and guilt and the crushing voice of condemnation. Maybe you've got recurring sin that continues to hold you in bondage. Whatever it is, Will you pray a prayer of faith? We have a good father who is waiting for us to come to him and lay our burdens at his feet. He is blessed beyond measure, waiting to pour out into our lives, and today is the day to receive those blessings. As the worship team plays, will you come? Come to receive prayer. Or turn to the person next to you and ask them to pray for you. Or just drop to your knees and cry out to Jesus on your own. This time, in this service, is set aside for the powerful prayers of the people of God who are crying out to their loving Father. And hear me, church, powerful prayers are not sparked by eloquent words, drawn-out diatribes, or tear-filled passion. They are simply prayers with simple but honest words offered to an all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving God. Every prayer prayed to God in faith is powerful. When we know who God is and trust his character, our prayers are effective because we are asking him to be who he is. No matter the outcome, we are changed, and his will is done, and he receives all the glory. So come, if you'd like prayer, turn seriously to your neighbor and pray. Cry out to Jesus as we sing these songs, and in a moment I'll come back up and officially close our service. But if we need to stay and continue to pray, let's do it. Today's the day. God wants to answer our prayers. That prayer you haven't prayed in a long time. The prayer you gave up on. The prayer that is maybe brand new. Whatever it be, whatever it is, whatever the Spirit is prompting you to this, at this moment, let's pray those things to Jesus. Do you believe that He 
can do great things. Believe that he can do miracles. I think so many times, I know in my life, I've been limiting God because I'm afraid to ask for a miracle. First of all, not necessarily that I don't think he can do it, but I'm just afraid to ask. Because what if he doesn't? Right? What if the miracle doesn't come? I think that's, that's another lie that we got to get rid of. May we boldly come to the Lord and pray for miracles, for crazy things. <laughs> Knowing that our God is good and loving and either he will do exactly what we prayed for or he will give us what we actually need in the moment. Let's continue to sing bold, or pray bold prayers to our Lord. I was talking with Tony, and I think she's right. A bold prayer that we may need to pray as a church, and I'm going to pray this morning, is for revival. Amen. Not out there. In here. In here. A bold prayer that God would activate us and make us evangelists, every one of us. Not because we look like Billy Graham, but because the Holy Spirit empowers us to be who we are in the evangelistic way that he's created us to be. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your amazing goodness. You are a mighty and awesome God. Lord, for those of us who have limited you and, and, and brought you down to earth and made you just kind of normal, Lord, challenge us, I hope you have today. Allow your spirit to convict us of that. It's not true. Again, you're the, you're the God who spoke creation into existence. And Lord, you've proven over and over again, you show in your word that you do miracles over and over and over again. And your word tells us that you can even do more things through us. That's the plan. So Lord, give us the courage to pray bold prayers. And Lord, we're excited to receive to know that when we ask, we receive. It may not look exactly like what we pray, but it'll be so much better. John 14, 12 to 21, truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep, me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, but it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. In Jesus' name, amen. And God bless.
Lord, if you, st- if you still need uh, prayer this morning, please come. Or again, grab a, grab a neighbor and let's pray. Don't leave until you've prayed for that prayer that the Spirit has told you you need to begin to pray again.